Welcome to Masters of Business, a show that gives you real-world techniques, cutting-edge strategies, and extraordinary insights for managers and leaders who want to develop the business acumen needed to go faster and farther in their business careers. Now, here's the master himself, Stephen Haynes. Hi, welcome back, everybody, um, to Masters of Business. As most of you know, I've created this show to guide business people and leaders um, on their career journey, leveraging core constructs of business acumen. We have a canvas and I have some books and things like that, all at business-acumen.com. So the podcast and vidcast are, are, are available through your normal podcast channels and also on YouTube. So um, today um, I've got Matt Hewlett on the show. Say hi, Matt. Hey, um, hello. So I'm glad you're here, but I will work on your introduction in a second because I have an agenda. Um, and, and the agenda has to do with leadership and leadership development and things like that. There are a million leadership development programs, but the thing that, I mean, leader, there are some of us who self-develop and we develop not necessarily because we're coached or guided, which is also what we do, but there's the school of hard knocks. There's the falling down. There's the getting up. There's resilience. There's pers persistence. There's that stuff that, that it, it, I don't know, is, is genetically embedded in us. But there's something else that what we think is important, and I, and I think Matt agrees with this, and that is how we are committed to helping others along their journey. All right, because we have an obligation as we've learned and grown. And, and with, with respect to Matt, which is sort of where I'm getting to, um, he and I met about a year or so ago. They were at, at University of Washington, if I remember correctly, they, mm -hmm. were, they had some product management group and um, we were on a panel. And Matt, well, I didn't, had never met Matt before and there were some questions being asked of him. I went, geez, this guy is like brilliant, right? And so that's why I had to go and get to know you. So I am um, introducing Matt, is who is the CEO of Pet Meds. So if you have a pet and you need meds, that's where you go, right? Um, which, and we have pets, so that's the thing. Um, but he's also been um, the president of Rosetta Stone and Expedia, some massively powerful experience. And he also recently wrote a book, which is really important that we talk about here. And that is called Unlock Five Questions to Unleash Your Company's Power. So again, Matt, welcome to the show. Very excited to be here, and uh, it's it's wild to think that we met about a year ago on Clubhouse of all places. That that and, and when I ask people about Clubhouse, they go, huh? <laughs> I know, I know. But for a time during the pandemic, that was the place to be. I know, I know. Well, anyway, so um, as I talk about with many of my guests, sort of about their career in the beginning, and that is, what was your career journey like? What could you share with us? And like a little business acumen thrown in, but, um, you know, some of the things you've done and some of the lessons you've long, learned along the way. And once we get through that, we'll go do some other stuff. Yeah, you know, I've been in the tech industry, lots of different verticals, lots of different business models, but really in tech for over 30 years. And you know, officially I was a, I started my tech career out as a product manager intern at a company called WRQ that made software that would connect new computers with old computers like IBM mainframes, HP, uh, mini computers, uh, digital equipment corporation, mini computers called VAXs and PDPs. I remember so, that. Yeah. So <laughs> dumb screen on a smart screen. And then we had a bunch of other software as well, but I started out as a product manager intern, became a product manager, um, was always 
you know, I always look at things like a product manager, which is why we get along so well. Um, I, I cut my teeth on product management, um, had a, a line of software that primarily got me outside the United States. 50% of my business was outside the United States. And it got me kind of a, a really big open aperture on not just product wants and needs and customers within the United States, but also outside the United States. And then I went to a company called Progressive Networks that became Real Networks. And I was the first product manager at a company called Progressive Networks, then Real Networks. But I was the product manager for the real player. Oh, my God. I remember that. Yes. It was the at the one point the most popular non-browser application. And when I started, it was like getting downloaded like 300 times a day. And when I left, it was like 300,000 times a day. Yeah. That's when you had to download software. And... And then I got really excited uh, there. The company went public. It was one of those high flyers back in the day. Actually, there's funny, a lot of analog to the market compression we see now, um, but huge IPO. And then I went off to start a business with um, a joint of a friend of mine that was at Real Networks. Um, it was an entertainment company online called Adam Films. Mm -hmm. And that was taking short form entertainment and putting it online. Um, and acquiring that, uh, acquiring those assets. So it was a very early version of kind of YouTube meets like a film studio. Mm -hmm. And then um, I left that company, went to Expedia. I was like in web 1.0 crash. I was beaten down. I was tired. And then I joined Expedia. <clears throat> I became <clears throat> a president of their corporate travel group. And I was like in my late 20s. Um, and the, uh, that business got really big up to the, about a billion dollars. And then, you know, I jumped around to a lot of different startups and turnarounds between there and, and Rosetta Stone. And there was kind of like a, a decade of fixing a lot of different companies with weird business models, probably stuff you've never heard of. And then ended up recently at Rosetta Stone and we turned that business around and, and took it private. It was a public company. Um, it was still in the CD-ROM business, believe it or not in 2017 and then sold that and I'm on to my next adventure at pet meds. Yeah. Those are a lot of things, you know, um, I, I assume um, some of these, some of our listeners are product people since I have a, a lot of those in my following. Um, but there are some, some dimensions of the role of a product person that are very business oriented. A lot of people who are in product think there's, you know, they're, they're wedded to their technology or they're wedded to their development method, but there are some underlying constructs uh, of being a product person um, that are important with respect to business acumen. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, everyone, I hate to sound like a Hallmark card, but, you know, it starts to me, it starts with people who, well, it's kind of heart and math people that are the best product people. So, so people who are super quantitative, but also have empathy towards the customer mm -hmm. who really look at things around what's the customer pain, you know, think about segmentation, persona, the right customer, but, you know, really think about the the pain and gain that they can solve for that customer and then really thinking strategically around how to build a product and what are the trade-offs. So it's the, kind of the analytics and the heart and the math of, of the makeup that best product person to me. Um, and I think it's one of the most difficult jobs um, that's the most satisfying. So heart and math is one, you need empathy. But second, I would say is you need maximum collaboration skills mm -hmm. because you have maximum responsibility, but you're not really managing a lot of people. And, um, you know, as a young product manager, I was always reminded of this when I'd be called in to do a demo 
for like, you know, the Wall Street Journal or meet a CEO of another company. It wasn't the senior vice president of Frosty Beverages. It was the product manager and the CEO coming in to do a demo. And, you know, learning collaboration uh, and getting people to work with you towards a common vision really helped me and set me up later in my life, in my career as being a CEO and an executive. Yeah, I, I think that there are these core skills. I mean, I have written about CEO mindset, not being, there's some people who mistake it, they call it CEO of a product, which you're really not. You, you the, the mindset of a CEO is that of a sort of a dynamic thinker um, yes. who processes a lot of different things and working with a lot of different people to figure out direction and getting people to move along. And I think that's a, a really important set of skills. Um, but one of the things you had mentioned had to do with the fact that you 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 jumped around and you fixed things. And in in larger corporations or very complex environment, sometimes fixing things means it's I've got to take something and turn it around into something that is either profitable or otherwise. Um, what, what are the things that you do when you come into a situation, first of all, why, um, and like, like what's the attraction? Okay. And what are the things that you do and how do these business and leadership skills, you know, how do they come to play on these things? Well, maybe I'll answer the why first. I don't know why. I mean, in the book I write about, you know, and I make a joke that I, you know, I probably need to spend some more horizontal time on a couch understanding it. But, you know, I was, I was um, raised by my mom, a divorced family, single, uh, single parent raising me primarily um, when I was younger. And, and so at an early age, you know, I had to really be the man of the house <clears throat> and there was a lot of complexity and a lot of, you know, a lot of different stressors related to that um, being kind of the man of the house when you're younger. And I was always faced with kind of chaotic situations when I was younger. And so I think I was drawn to um, problems, you know, more so than peacetime, you know, and I often describe myself as a wartime leader versus a peacetime leader, mm -hmm. which is kind of touched on in Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yes. There's a different style of leadership. Um, but that's <clears throat> the why is I think <clears throat> is environment. I think in, my environment kind of structured me in a way to be that kind of person. And it just so happens that kind of genetic aptitude layered on, you know, a three or four different cycles of downturns made me kind of wired to be the person that was pretty good at figuring out, look, when your revenue stream goes away, where do you pivot? How do you cut costs? What's the new strategy? How do you get money? And I'm kind of a junkie for that. And so that's kind of the why I think. And then, you know, how I approach it, it's why I wrote this book, um, is um, really taking a look at both the macro and the micro of, of a business. Um, and really, in 90 days, I like to look at people, process, and product. And by the end of it, I kind of walk in with this metaphysical toolbox of you know, a pretty good idea of strategy, um, pretty good idea on people in terms of right people in the right seats, stage, span and scope, cost. Um, product and whether it's competitive edge, whether the plan's good. And I have a pretty good sense of how to do that in about 90 days. It takes a long time once you figure that out to actually see the results of those, those learnings. But just like everything else, it's a marathon and these things compound. But I've kind of honed it down to about a 90-day analysis of a business. Most turnarounds take two to three years. Yeah. 
I, I like to look at things like a, if I were going to look at a business case for the business, how would I how would I do a retrospective on that? Like, what the heck were they thinking, right? And it's interesting also just to pitch the business acumen piece. Those are three of the pillars of business people, processes, products. There are mm -hmm. other things that are core skills like finance strategy and data and problem solving and stuff like that, which I will get to in a second. But the actual getting in, you know, you have you you first of all, you have to find that thing and then you have to jump into it. Who who are you working with? How how do these whole mechanics work? Like did, what did you write a resume? I'd like to go fix things. <laughs> How did you get there? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I hate to get so orthogonal, which I'm known to do at times, but, you know, I didn't have, I'll just tell, I sat down with somebody who, and I spent a lot more time talking to people who don't look like me, you know, white guy over over 40, you know, probably not going to be the, the person I'm going to, sorry, Stephen, that I'm going to hang out with is in terms of mentorship, I try to help folks that are a little bit more diverse. Um, and and, and there's, that's a longer reason why, but I find that more fulfilling. And the reason why I start out answering your question that way is I never really had what I would call a brand for myself or a career path. I just worked on things I wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. And I, I would recommend that, that I, you know, if I went back to my younger self, I, I probably would have had more of a strategy there. Uh, but because I didn't, I think I've come out the other side um, with a particular set of skills, which I quote in the book, Liam Neeson's 2006 Taken. I'm a man with a particular set of skills. Um, I think I lost track of your question, though. That, that's okay, because <laughs> it, well, it actually goes to career path or, or almost lack thereof. Right? Yes. Which is probably why I, I relate to you, because, of course, I had similar kinds of things. And not having career coaches, and I, the way I would write about it sometimes is I didn't even have a clue. And things that I encountered tended to be serendipitous, but as a believer in fate of some kind, that we're put someplace for a reason. And, you know, even in my own career of being sort of a fix it guy, you know, people would like throw things at me and say, here, give it to him. And you, you just go dig through it and you go figure it out. You break it down into pieces. And that really does get to, to, um, to sort of this other topic I wanted to talk about and had to do with problem solving. All right. Mm -hmm. And that you're turning something around or figuring something out requires a great problem set. Now that that's a problem solving set or mindset, but there are some, there are, I have a lot of different topics that I want to talk about. So one has to do with problem solving, but the other thing that you and I talked about a few weeks back had to do with the fact that you, you don't, so a lot of companies bring in outside people to help them solve the problems, like a, like a big consulting company, which they pull the bus up, they have a bus driver, a bunch of kids, they get off the bus, they come back in, they leave, and then they, they so, so whatever, they solve your problem, but the problem persists. Then you, you have this thing where you talk about, well, we've got to be able to fix it by ourselves. So let's talk about problem solving and fixing stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much opposed to hiring consulting firms. Um, and, you know, I have a startup and, you know, the private company and public company side of me really doesn't matter on the stage. I'm really opposed to it because inevitably what the consultants do that, well, they have fantastic slides, Harvey Ball Chevrons are fantastic framers, but really the regurgitation is typically through interviews and some financial analysis of your core business. I'm not saying that 
their uh, pariahs at all. I'm just saying I really believe in self-directed analysis and self-directed teams. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the answers that you need are within your team at some level. And if they're not in the team, then there's always ways to get external data points without having to see the Black American Express cards and the Gucci show up at your at, off the bus that you're referring to, and and the um, you know the quickest thing that I do and and you're a framework person like I am is, I, you know I'm very frameworky but I'm also very colloquial, you know I can't tell you how I I've just figured out how to get the teacher's edition on problem solving very quickly, you know I'll call like in fact today I'm going to talk to a competitor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to ask, I, hey, don't know me. My name is Matt. We're competitors. Let's talk. And inevitably, you know, as long as it's not confidential or proprietary, you can find out a lot about a market very, very quickly. You can talk to your customers. There's lots of different inputs that you can get self-directed and save you a lot of time and money. Because the issue that I have in the point that you made is very important is once the consultants leave, they leave. The IQ has left the building, and I believe the IQ is in the building. You don't need external IQ. Yeah, I, you know, th there's this thing like if you're not doing your job, then you're not doing your job. And I, I believe that you know, and even could be a Jim Collins kind of a thing, you know, of not having the right people on the bus. But um, as leaders, we need to make sure we're staffing the company with the right kind of people because if you have to bring in outside help, what the heck for? Right. Because they they collect big checks and then they go home and they leave you with the pieces because your folks never experienced what they they sat in the conference room and did all their stuff and they gave you the report and you're right. And then they left mm -hmm. and you still have to either implement or do stuff. But there's the actual learning along the way. You know, that's when I opened up of you fall down, you get up, but you're resilient and persistent is how you go figure that stuff out. And I think the other thing that I, I have learned about you is how you break things down into small pieces. Yes. How you sort of look at them and then reconstruct them. And my perception is your reconstruction is in your mind's eye. And when you talk about your eye, see, that is what creates that vision thing that people look at and they say, oh, now I understand, right? And vision is this like vast hallucination of, oh, you know, we're going to be best, best, best. It's sort of like, what, what do we need to get to as the next step? And I, and I really have to, um, um, you know, applaud you for that approach. Um, it's, it's profound. It really is profound. It, well, you, you know, and you and I see eye to eye in so many things, um, so I just check myself, but, you know, inevitably, you know, as product, as a product manager, and this is a, this was, um, you know, we all, I'm Seattle based, you know, everyone kind of steals the same practices from each other. When I was at Microsoft, we did this and Amazon, we do that. But one of the things that Amazon did as I never, have never worked there, hired a lot of people from there um, that, that helped me kind of establish this vision first work backwards idea that you mentioned is, you know, starting with the press release. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Atlassian would be, you know, build a box, right? That build a box exercise that you do with the with a small scrum team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through that articulation of a future state that is maybe out of your reach, um, you step back from that and you realize, you realize inevitably what I'm, what do I need to say yes and no to? How do I need to allocate capital? What kind of capital would I even need? Even if you're not accurate, you get a sense of how big the rock is. And 
you know, if you don't have that, you're, you're thrust into situations where you just don't know how to respond or act. You don't know if you have the right people at the right time. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, you don't have a sense of kind of the guardrails and, and the parameters around this problem. So I, the only way I know how to do it is starting with the end in mind. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think also um, we have to stretch people. Um, we have to throw them into stuff like not listen, not not everybody's going to swim when you throw them into the swamp. But if we want to develop talent and it doesn't have to be leadership talent, it could just be managerial talent. Yep. Um, we still expect the same behavior from them. We want them to look at these complex situations. We don't want them to get is stuck in road analytics and wrote PowerPoints. We, everything, if business is dynamic, then that's what they have to do. They have to sort of roll with the punches all the time. And it's, I, I, I use sports analogies, even though I'm not a sports person, is things are rough and tumble all the time. Yep. Um, and, you know, depending on things like field position and score and play offense, and defense and all the other things, um, every time you think you have a plan again, it's going to, it may, may go off the, off the edge. So anyway, um, I don't want to drill down there because there was one thing I did want to talk about, and that was your book. And there were some motivations behind why you wrote that, but you also mentioned some technique that um, leaders can use to evaluate their organizations. And you called this an insight score. And mm -hmm. I'd like you to share with us sort of this, how we got to this whole thing and what is this insight score all about and how can it help leaders? Yeah, and it, it came about because um, I know my own demons and faults. And one of them is I'm extremely verbose. I'll make a point eventually, but it's a couple of laps around the barn, to be honest. Me too, yeah. Well, we get along <laughs> and uh, I've called you officially the Anthony Bourdain of product. Oh, um, I don't need to say man, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> except with a better backstory. Oof. Um, sorry, we, we went down the wrong road. So back to, back to it. Um, I, you know, I, I, um, I started getting known as the turnaround guy and I wasn't sure if I was comfortable with that, that moniker. Um, and then when I talked to different companies or peers of mine, you know, I, I regale them with an hour long explanation of how easy it is. And they're like, well, you know, Matt, I don't have an hour long anything to listen to this stuff. I go, no, I've got slides. So I developed these slides. And then, you know, maybe that shortened the hour down to 45 minutes. And even this explanation is taking longer. And, and then inevitably, I think what I figured out is people aren't, most people that are, that you want to work with aren't intellectually lazy. They're just busy and things are complex so you have to kind of frame things down to very simple you know you know this you're mr framework like i am you have to have a framework and so i was inspired by the fico score and i was inspired by drake's equation which is that equation heuristic for is there intelligent life like how do you how do you actually answer a question can my business be a market leader in like 30 seconds and that was kind of the that was the the goal and so the insight score takes uh, five variables, uh, TAM, timing, track record, and plan. And you score those one, two, or three, you add those up. And then you multiply that sum by momentum, which is whether you can have the right capital or the right talent. And that's a one, two, or three. And then based on that score, you get some kind of strength analysis. And so just like the FICO score in real life, 
you know, you can influence that score by getting more credit cards or, you know, paying things down. And so, you know, I walk through the book, how you can actually make that score better, or even if it's not better, be okay with the fact that you're not going to be a market leader. You're going to be like happy with your chain of five laundromats if you want. There's no, there's no problem with that. But I try to take a very complex subject and get it down to a score because of my own proclivity to talk too much. Well, but that, first of all, I, I truly understand that. But, you know, we go back to problem solving and problem solving, you know, is best done when you can break things down, just to repeat myself. And when you can break things down into more granular elements, and, and I talk about this even in my canvas, right? You sort of have to zoom in on something, study it, pull back again and see how everything fits together. So your yes. vantage point shifts over time as you learn things. And the thing about what I, I like about this insight score is it gives you, you can work on something. You don't have to work on everything. Yeah. And if just like you, you do something to raise your credit score, you do something, whether it's a people process product or, or something else or talent, whatever that thing is to, to raise the bar, but look for the association between the activity and the outcome. Like I did this and I, and I get that. And I, that's, well, again, we see eye to eye on that. And, and I, I do like your frameworks. I haven't, I haven't bought the new uh, mini book, but I will. And uh, I will make sure to do a review. Shameless plug, huh? Ooh, I love it. Thank you. Well, <laughs> also I, what I didn't realize is how hard it is to actually write something, ship it and have someone write a review. So when, you know, uh, my mom's still working on her review, but I guess where, where I was going to jump in on that is the thing that, that you and I see an eye to eye on is you know, process goals and breaking things down are very important because otherwise everything seems too daunting. And I, I'm not a golfer. And I took a golf lesson recently just to remind myself why I'm not going to be a golfer. But yeah. this was an example of this is an example of a really bad um, training session where uh, this woman you know, was looking you know, already kind of starts out with ber berating me a little bit that I'm stiff and it must be a high tech guy, you know, and that starts off with my neurons aren't ready for receiving information. And then, you know, progressively, you know, move your hand here, your hip, keep your head here. And there was so much to work on that inevitably I got so pissed and frustrated that I, I wasn't engaged and left the, um, the training session early. Um, and I told her I wouldn't be back. So I wasn't happy. And um, I find with businesses, as you start breaking things down, you know, for instance, you know, I worked with my pet meds team recently to break down kind of a kind of a three-year view, but really a one-year view of what we need to accomplish by year, quarter, week, you know, down month, week. Um, we review it every, 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 every week as a team. There's a, a very finite number of things we're working on. We know what the goal is. We know how these are going to compound or not. And we're always asking ourselves, are we on the right path? Do we need to focus on one of these things more because we're not getting good at it? In fact, I just went through an example recently, um, right before this call, of a, you know, a, a classic kind of punch list of items, initiatives. And these are very important, data warehouse and mobile app and all this stuff. And it was a sea of like long lists. And so, you know, I'm not going to be able to have expertise on each specific item at the depth that I, I should um, as like a product manager or PMO. I looked at it as I'm going to look at kind of, are we doing what we're saying we're doing 
at the cadence we want, the quality we want, and if not, why? And so literally when you start seeing red on core things that need to get done, Mm -hmm. you want to ask yourself, hey, should I be turning off other things that are bigger egg? Uh, And product managers like, hey, high impact, low effort, shouldn't we be doing these right now? And, And we have these discussions about, we talked earlier about kind of strategy is is great we readdress it every monday um you know it's always good to be agile and break things down so they're actionable and you're evaluating how those things roll out on a continuous basis right i i think this there's sort of something else um as you were talking i keep i i very often think about um people who study things like an anthropologist right that there is anthropology in dissecting problems and dissecting situations of looking at causes. I think sometimes we, even in problem solving, we we tend to um, go after symptoms instead of causes because the symptom is easy. You know, I have a headache, take an aspirin, but you may have something yeah. else going on in your brain. You don't even That's know. That's right. It's a bad thing, right? But but how, and I know we, we hadn't talked about this before, but is there something that you can share in terms of some secret of how you get your team to really break down things so that you can really expose what's important to work on? That's a really good question. I and, and rehearse that one, man. And I have a folksy way, you know, there's, and this is going to date me. Um, in We're my age, in trouble, but, so forget it, you know? <laughs> no, but it's, it's, um, well, it's a Colombo reference. Oh, the well, detect- that, that's, you're going to ask people to look Colombo up online. Because- right, right. Look that up, ask your parents, but, um, <laughs> Columbo was this, you know, played by this character, this um, character actor named Peter Falk, who, who, you know, kind of had a crumply trench coat and and was actually disregarded by most of the suspects as incompetent, but and seemed incompetent and would just ask questions throughout the entire show and jot things down on his notepad. Where seemingly, like ninety percent of the show, it's just you think this guy's not going to be able to land the plane in terms of figuring this out, and at the end, he always says. I have one more question. And, and the zinger is he's compiled, you know, must have been, you know, weeks really in reality, but the last 15 minutes of the show into this zinger, cause he's compiled multi-data points. And I would say the same thing goes for me, uh, whatever framework you're using, I, I use a, I use a bunch of different little frameworks, but the cheat that I have is um, collecting data points um, through interviews, skip levels, and getting an assessment of the corpus of information within an organization. You can get it kind of verbally, you can get it um, through, through uh, you know, if you use an HRS system or even just look at, you know, performance reviews, you kind of get the sense of very quickly, the scaled problem of a, of a thing. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in the data, but the data is to your point, like I can look at a PL and see something in that PL, but I don't know what's really behind it. Right. And I can get there really, really quickly by being Columbo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And and um, sometimes I probably talk too much about my own career. But, you know, early, early on when I was a financial analyst, before I became a product person, um, I used to, you know, bury myself in files, literally looking at invoices. Um, because I didn't, if I had to analyze the variance, I couldn't just ask somebody, what do you think it was? I had to go find the evidence. And the idea behind being a corporate anthropologist, a problem solver is almost like building a legal case. 
Yes. You really want to look at what's going on. You better go to the to where the dollars and cents were, where the process was, what exactly happened. Because you, unless you lay that all out, okay, and I have myriad examples of companies that actually do this, even in a physical way with their products, trying to rationalize things, you're not going to figure out what it is. And also being able to visualize it, share what that visualization is, allows people to think collectively about it. And all of these add, add up together to being a better business analyst and a bit, ultimately a better CEO. So that's absolutely, absolutely. So um, how let you know, I, I could just keep going on, but I always look at my clock. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you can find me on my site, Startup Whisperer. It's a whisperer dot com and then uh linkedin twitter anywhere the anywhere the digital folks are i'm there well i do pe- hope that people do um check in with you and pick up a copy of the book um because i think unlock five questions to unleash your company's power is a powerful resource that probably every business person we can benefit from anyway with that um we're at another end of this show called masters of business and um we we have learned tremendously i am astonished you know when i started the show of just i don't know a few months ago um it was sort of an experiment and i have continued to learn from some of the most interesting people like Matt and, and even some, some others who um, are, have already done interviews with um, about bringing some insights into their business careers and things like that. And I think, you know, the way this show will continue to evolve will bring interesting points of view and insights as we all become masters of business. So until next time, I am Stephen Haynes. Thank you very much, Matt, and we will see you all next time. You've been listening to Masters of Business with Stephen Haynes, a podcast that captures the ideas and lessons learned from thinkers and leaders in business. If you'd like to take your company to the next level, consider the courses and books from the Business Acumen Institute. To learn more, go to business-acumen.com.